You are now listening to the QTCast, a QTRL production. Hello and welcome to episode 4 of the QT Cast, the official podcast for the Queer and Trans Research Lab at the Mark S. Bonham Centre for Sexual Diversity Studies at the University of Toronto. My name's Elliot, and in today's episode, I sit down with Dr. Andrea Allen, one of our Martha McCain Faculty Research Fellows here at the lab. Stay tuned to hear Dr. Allen discuss her current book project about LGBT evangelical Brazilians, race, religious identity, and sexual subjectivity and to get the inside scoop on Dr. Allen's time in the field conducting this research. As always, you can reach us at qtcast21 at gmail.com, and you can follow us on social media at qtcast underscore. And finally, I ask kindly that you rate, review, and subscribe to the QTCast wherever you get your podcasts. Without further ado, let's get to it, and thanks for listening. Hi, my name is Andrea Allen. I'm an assistant professor in the Department of Anthropology and in the Center for Diaspora and Transnational Studies. Uh, Currently, I'm conducting a research project about the experiences of LGBTQ individuals specifically evangelicals in Brazil. And I am branching out to look at the experiences of LGBTQ evangelicals in in, um, Toronto and in Lisbon. Uh, Specifically, I'm interested in how and why certain LGBTQ Christians in Brazil and in the diaspora have um, been attracted to uh, self-identified LGBTQ churches and churches that may be called evangelical, Pentecostal, um, uh, and have conservative theologies, uh, considering they uh, these same theologies do not accept and, in fact, um, condemn LGBTQ people in general. Off the bat, it sounds like there's a lot of tension at play in that topic. I'm wondering how what what led you to this um, kind of research that you're doing. Well, I would say in many ways it's a combination of my past research projects and my personal experiences. I grew up in a Black Baptist church. My father is a minister, uh, and so I grew up in a background and uh, in a community that, on the whole, was not open to LGBTQ Christians and same-sex sexuality. Gender diversity was was condemned. And professionally, I have always been interested in the experiences of uh, people's religious experiences. So my first research project I conducted in Brazil when I was an undergraduate, and it focused on the experiences of LGBTQ practitioners of an Afro-Brazilian religion called Candomblé. And Candomblé is akin to Santeria and, and Voodoo, and it's... Um, 
it innovates and is derived from um, different African, West African uh, traditions and beliefs and practices. And the religion has, there's this idea that, or one could even say a myth that this religion is um, completely open, accepting, and even celebrates uh, same-sex sexuality. And so for this project, I wanted to see if that, in fact, was the experiences of people who were in the religion. And if so, why did they think that the religion was was accepting? Uh, so it was a great opportunity for me when I was an undergraduate to um, talk to people. Um, I didn't really have a lot of formal training in how to conduct ethnography. I was sort of thrown in the water, but it was a good experience to do that because people were very open and talking with me about their religious experiences. Um, and then the next research project I did, I did while I was a master's student and it focused on Brazilian immigrant women in, in the Boston area and how they use religious beliefs and practices to cope with the stress of immigration, being in a new community, new, um, new country. Um, and so, again, I was looking at the religious experiences of, of a specific population. I spoke with women who were uh, who attended evangelical churches. I spoke to evangelical pastors. All of them were men and also a few Catholic women and, and, and a priest. And so, again, it was um, my looking at how the different tensions that may arise um, or opportunities in some ways that may arise between people's religious experiences in the, in the world around them and their, their overall experiences. So then for my dissertation, I didn't focus on religion specifically, but more on um, Black lesbian women. I wanted to get back to looking at um, an LGBTQ population. And so I uh, conducted research in Salvador Bahia, which is um, the capital of Bahia, which is a Northeastern state. And when I began this research project, I was really interested in um, how people were influenced by um, nationalist ideologies or nationalist narratives about Brazilians, about sexuality. How did they influence the lives of lesbian women? Um, and once I began to do research, I realized that theoretically or um, abstractly, that may be an interesting topic. Um, experientially, it was difficult to prove on a one-to-one level how narratives influence people's experiences and behaviors in relationship to sexuality. Because um, it's not like people would say, like, I was influenced by Brazilian nationalist narratives about sexuality and this is what informs my experience so right um so yeah so i i began so while i was you know figuring out what my topic was i i noticed that many women who i would talk to just like in conversations they would talk to talk to me about their experiences of intimate partner violence they didn't use the word intimate partner violence but they would talk about different um arguments they would have scars they would have from um, lovers um, and they would just come up in conversation and so I realized that this may be a topic that I should explore in my dissertation and from there I began to ask more pointed questions in relationship to um, intimate partner violence. I didn't ask them. I, I would try to ask questions to ascertain their overall experiences in their relationship, their experiences related to 
sexual fidelity and jealousy because those were often the main reasons given for why intimate partner violence was present in their relationships. Um, so that was an example for me of how I may have thought I was doing research about one topic, but once I started to do research, I realized that that was not the topic that I was, in some ways, it sounds like called to do just because of the conversations that I was having. Um, so it was a very intense research project to do. Um, and after I finished um, you know, doing field work and, and spending time in Brazil, I wrote my dissertation. And after I graduated, I published a book that was based on my dissertation, which was a, a great experience because I was able to, you know, for it to be a completed project. And mm -hmm. um, in some ways I could, I could try to move on. And I think after that project, I realized that I was still interested in because um, in addition to focusing on intimate partner violence, we talked about a lot of women's experiences, including their religious, religious experiences. And so I realized that I wanted to go back to focusing on religion. And then I thought about, well, what about, because um, I, I had heard about different churches that were so self-identified queer churches, but not just queer churches, but churches that were evangelical, Pentecostal, that were really rooted in conservative theologies or conservative beliefs about the Bible, about how people should, should behave themselves. And so I knew that this was a, a population I wanted to um, to examine their experiences. And so this is when I said that this is a culmination of both professional and personal experiences, as well as past research projects, because um, I focused on LGBTQ practitioners of Cotton Blay. I focus on evangelical women. And now this project is bringing those, you know, gender, sexuality, and religion together in focusing on the experiences of LGBTQ Christians. So is it safe to say the doctrine for Pentecostal evangelical is at odds with queerness? Like in a sense, is that kind of the initial tension that you were drawn to? Uh, yes, I mean, definitely, because overall, if one um, identifies with certain conservative theologies or beliefs about Christianity, then one would think that the Bible condemns same-sex sexuality and right. gender diversity, gender expansiveness. They typically go hand in hand. And so that's what's interesting to me about LGBTQ evangelicals is that for them, they on, on one hand, they state and believe that the Bible doesn't directly condemn same-sex sexuality. Mm -hmm. And on the other hand, they believe that the Bible should be, um, is, they oftentimes believe in literalists or uh, interpretations of the Bible, that what the Bible says, the Bible means. So, right. for example, they may believe that um, premarital sex is a sin or that you only should have sex with someone if you love them, if you have a lot of affection for them. They believe in Satan or the devil. They believe that um, one should comport themselves in a manner that identifies you as, as a Christian. So besides sexuality in general, they, their theology is very similar to theologies you would find in a mainstream evangelical church. For me, I was interested in, in that tension and then also what that tension can tell us about sexuality, what that tension can tell us about identity. What does it mean that there are certain aspects of people's identity that is more meaningful for them than their sexuality, for example? Because I think right. for some LGBTQ um, 
populations and communities around the world, there's less emphasis on religion because oftentimes religion has been used to condemn, to condone violence against LGBTQ people. Um, and But those are in some communities. But then in other communities, while you have that condemnation, people are still drawn to religion. And so for me, I'm, I was interested in that and that attraction. And what is that, what can that attraction tell us about sexuality that um, for some people and some cultures and societies around the world, sexuality is not at the forefront of how they identify themselves. It's so interesting too, because as you're speaking, it's like, I'm thinking there, like, like you say, there's this jerk reaction. A lot of times people will just immediately hear queerness or LGBTQ plus, like, especially in Western and like more metropolis centers and just that's antithetical to queerness. That's, you know, that's like a secular, secular uh, identity. And, and as you say, again, because of the um, historical oppression, um, but it is so interesting because religious communities offer community, right. And support and safety and all of these things that oppressed people like, like queer people would need. So I'm, I'm really interested as well in how that would play out in your work and how, like, what have you seen so far about kind of the different draws to community mm-hmm. within these churches? Yeah, I mean, that's really important um, because many of the people that I have encountered and interviewed, they grew up in evangelical churches and they were and they found community there. They were mm-hmm. part of different church communities. They had friends there and that the only reason they left those communities was either because of sermon after sermon condemning same sex sexuality or they were forced out of their communities. So right. for them to go to a church where they can find a similar th- theology, where they can find a similar um, music, um, a way that a church service, the function of a church service and the different parts of a church service that I think for a lot of people I interviewed, they found a lot of solace. And I think they were grateful that there is this opportunity because there are other more liberal, progressive church, uh, LGBTQ churches in um, in Sao Paulo, which is where I conducted my research, and obviously in different places around the world, like the Metropolitan Community Church. But theologically, for some LGBTQ, LGBTQ Christians, they're still drawn to the evangelical experience, and that right. for them, going to these churches was in a way for them to go home go home in the sense that they can be in a church community similar to one they grew up in, but they still, they could openly identify as LGBTQ. They could Mm -hmm. hold the hands of their, their lover in public. Um, They can be physical with them within this, in the church space, like physical in the sense of hugs, like embraces, you know, that this was a space where they could be themselves as sexual beings and also as, as religious beings and that, you know, that kind of community, I think, um, is, you know, very powerful for people who still wanted to be in a religious community, but found that they had to leave it, not because they wanted to, but because they were kicked out. When you were conducting research, you were actually physically going to these churches, correct? Yes. What was your experience like overall? And also in terms of your status as an anthropologist in those spaces, Mm -hmm. what was it like navigating that, building these relationships? Yeah, it was very interesting because, like I said, I grew up in uh, a Black Baptist church. So for me, these um, ser- the ceremonies, the services, how the, the the music, the sermons, that different features of these service, services were very familiar to me because of 
you know, how I grew up in my childhood. And so mm. I think a way that I was able to connect to people was that I could talk to them about, you know, I'm a daughter of, of a Protestant minister. I grew up in uh, a, a Protestant church that one could call evangelical. Um, so for me, it was, it was a way of connecting to different aspects of my um my my background and i think that i saw that as an asset because i could i think understand um why people would be attracted to these churches i could understand the importance of different aspects of these churches in a way that perhaps someone who didn't grow up in this um environment made that i had a different access to understanding than other people yeah and so i you know i think because of that i think i was able Maybe I was more readily accepted. I don't know if I would say that, but I don't think people looked at me as, you know, someone who was trying to like criticize what they were doing. And even just different questions that I could ask that I think that also helped me to, you know, because of my back, personal background, but also um, as someone who has been a scholar of religion, that there are certain questions and follow-up questions I could ask during interviews that um indicated my my knowledge about about um, what they were talking about and so mm-hmm. I think professionally too it helped me that I had this background in in religion um, so I think as an anthropologist that um, having these access different access points can be definitely be beneficial and that's why it's important I think to have people who have similar backgrounds as people who they want to do research about can be really important because it can be that there's certain conversations or flow of conversations. There's more potential for different flows and more, I think, fascinating flows of conversation than maybe someone who doesn't have a similar background. And even, you know, being in services, there are different, like, I would say emotions or feelings that I were, that like, that I would have. And I think because I had, that background that you know the music the the lighting that all of that you know certain emotions that I would have I know that those emotions were related to you know my background like how I experienced growing up in the church yeah so I think to me all of that can be you know if I feel this and I am not a part of the Christian community then what would it feel like for someone who is a part of a, who wants to be a part of a Christian community and felt like they couldn't be. And then they're in this space where, you know, all of these sort of emotions are invoked. I'm wondering, can you talk a little bit more about the phrasing you used, uh, like this being a calling and kind of the feeling mm-hmm. of this project being a calling for you? I mean, I jokingly say that because I don't know if it is. It's funny because <sighs> in the acknowledgements of my book, the first sentence is something like, God wanted me to study lesbian women in Brazil. And then my second book is about um, evangelicals. Um, so, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I was just joking when I said <laughs> But I mean, I do think that because of my experiences that this type of research, I'm, I think, well-equipped to do this type of research. Right. Um, because I have had this background, like personally, professionally, that I've done these different research projects and how this project as I said, is a culmination of these different experiences. Do you have an anecdote that stands out for you from from your time in the fieldwork from this latest book project that you'd be willing to share? Sure. Um, So, I mean, this is why I specifically, I think, 
that it's important to identify them. Some people, some people identified as evangelical, other people, they are in the, you know, how they function and how they believe is similar to mainstream evangelicalism. And one of these ways is through mission work that both churches, especially I, I did research at two churches and one of the churches was a larger church. Um, and at this church, um, evangelizing evangelism, doing mission work was really important. So they're about like maybe a 10, almost a 10 minute walk from this church is um, this public square. They call it like a plaza, which basically means square. I mean, if you go like in European countries, they have a lot of like like different squares in, in a city where people congregate. It can be like the, the life of this little area. Right. And so near one of um, the churches, um, Sadajiji Hufuju, which means like city of refuge, there's one of these squares and it's known to be one for queer people. Like there's a lot of um, restaurants, especially bars, nightclubs that are queer nightclubs near the square, you know, weekends, the square is full of people. And so there's a Friday night service, um, and this was geared towards the use of the church, um, like, you know, 18 to, I don't know, 25 or something like that. Um, and after the church service, they wanted to do some evangelism at the square. So you have the bars and restaurants, and then you have like a little park in the middle, and that's where you just have like queer youth would just hang out there. Um, and so they wanted to do some evangelism there at this at this square. Um, so after the service, people got into teams, they had leaflets, and the leaflets were all about how Jesus loves them, how they should, you know, they're accepted as who they are. It was encouraging them to become Christians. And so after mm-hmm. people got into little teams, there was a prayer, and then everyone walked over to this square. And while they, when they walked over, they would talk to different people and they would hand out leaflets to people about, about the church, about Christianity. And then after they did this, they, um, all of the different teams gathered together in a, in a circle and they did this because they were going to have a prayer. And at the beginning of this prayer, everyone's in a circle holding hands. A young woman comes over and she says, does your church accept Sapatonas? And Sapatonas in Portuguese is just dyke. And so the idea that she would come over and say, does your church accept dyke? I thought was really, was really powerful because, you know, this, that juxtaposition between church and Sapatona or dyke and mm-hmm. that, and this idea of like, she is specifically asking about that. Um, and so this is why this church, these churches to me are very fascinating because on one hand, they engage in behavior that is very um, similar to how mainstream evangelicals uh, behave. And then on the other hand, they are churches in which someone can use the word dyke um, yeah. and that person is accepted. Yeah, I was just going to ask you next about how the actual writing is going for you. Like, how is working going for you in this pandemic? Yeah, I mean, working during the pandemic, definitely there have been challenges to this um, as someone who has a young child. Um, and yeah, there have been periods in which she has not been in school. There definitely has been some challenges to that. And it just needs to just um, access to resources. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, for the past two summers, I haven't been able to conduct ethnographic research um, in Toronto or in, um, in Lisbon, two of the places where I've wanted to conduct some, some research. Um, hopefully this summer I'll be going to Lisbon. I, made travel arrangements and hopefully I'll be able to do that. 
Um, so yeah, I just has definitely been a challenge just because of different restrictions, um, which I definitely believe in. Um, but there are definitely been challenges in, in trying to to navigate that. And being a part of the QTRL definitely has been um, a, a very uh, auspicious uh, thing for me because I've been able to concentrate on on my research and uh, and writing different articles and um, just thinking about and reading. I mean, I think uh, reading is so fundamental, which is yeah. a cliche, but it is to conduct research because oftentimes you know it can be difficult to read. Um, when you are teaching. As we close out, um, what are your hopes for the future and for the year ahead? Somewhere I hope to be enlisted. And, um, so I conducted research at two churches in Sao Paulo. And one of the churches, they have a satellite church in Lisbon. And uh, so I'll be um, going to Lisbon and working with people there in terms of conducting research, um, doing interviews, attending services. And then another, the other church, they have a satellite church in Toronto. And so this summer, I hope to be um, going to Toronto specifically to um, conduct research um, with people at this at this church. Um, so I, I think you know this is where again, like this project brings together different aspects of my previous research projects because I'll be looking at um, um, LGBTQ Christianity within a diasporic and transnational context. Uh, so yeah, I think it's I, you know I'm I'm hopeful for the future that now. We'll see what happens with the pandemic, um, but for now, uh, these are my, my research plans. And then once I go to Brazil this summer, and I think the next summer, um, I will have collected enough data, I, I, I imagine. Sorry, not Brazil, but once I go to Lisbon and uh, do some research in Toronto, that I'll be able to uh, have a book manuscript in, in, in a couple of years. That's so exciting. Thank you so much. Um, and thank You're you so welcome. much for taking time out of your morning to speak with me. I, um, I wish you all the best with your future research, and I can't wait to hear more. Great. Thank you for the questions. And sorry, it took longer than I thought it was going to. But, no uh, worries at all. Yeah. This is the nature of working from home. <laughs> uh, yes, yes, it is. Yes. This has been a QTRL production. Thanks for listening.